Hey everybody, it's Luke with Luke Humphrey Running, and I'm going to talk a little bit today about pacing. I think it's a it's a good time uh, as I'm recording this. We're wrapping up a lot of the uh, the spring marathons. We just have a uh, few a few June ones left, but uh, we're wrapping up spring marathon season. And believe it or not, we're actually already starting to think about fall marathons, and so. Um, a lot of this is really coming from where I've seen a lot of my athletes personally uh, struggle with this a little bit, and um, I see it in our Facebook group and in our in our community as well. Uh, and and pacing seems to be a huge issue. And if you follow Hanson's Hanson's marathon method, you're one of our athletes. You know that we put a lot of emphasis on pace, and so we get a lot of we get a lot of push back from that with, you know, the heart rate people out there and the power people out there. Um, I'm not really going to go into that. I think you, in the, at the very basics of it, um, whether it's heart rate or pace or, or power or anything like that, you're, you're really just talking about a way to monitor uh, intensity and make sure that you're getting the right, um, the right adaptations, I would say, to, to what you're trying to accomplish, right? And so, for us, it's pace, and for us, it makes sense with pace because most people we are working with are trying to run certain times in the marathon or half marathon, whatever it is, and so we're trying to keep it constant from what you're monitoring in your workouts versus what you'll be monitoring on race day. And so that's not to put that there's no importance in heart rate or anything like that into, into workouts, but from what I see is that there's often... Um, it's it's really all or nothing, right? And so if, it's, if, if you're a heart rate person, a lot of times what's just looked at is, is heart rate. Or if you're power, you're just looking at your power numbers. And the truth is, um, they're all pieces they're all pieces to the puzzle, right? And so um, for our athletes, what I, I would really like to see them is do is if they can get to where they can internalize a, a, an effort and put a pace to that effort, they're going to do very well in races. So that's kind of what I want to talk about because it's definitely a skill, right? It's not a, it's not something that just, some people are good at it, but for the vast majority of people, it's taken a lot of work to get good at pacing. And so for me personally, I've probably taken that for granted because every coach I had, my high school cross country coach, my college coach, and then being with Kevin and Keith, we did so much on putting paces to efforts, right? Being able to judge efforts and have a, a pace number associated with that. And so we've gotten really good. I think you'd look at the people who were really successful with the Hansons as professionals uh, were really good at pacing by the time they left or, you know, over their, you know, after a couple of years of, of really, buying into the system. I think that's where you saw the most successful people. They were really, really pretty good at pacing and not only just pacing, just monitoring effort, internalizing effort and putting number, being able to put uh, an effort to that. Right. And I think that's such a skill that has to be taught that we just, a lot of times we don't, we're just, we're not doing it. So hopefully we get through today and we can, we can, uh, we can clear up some stuff and really kind of give you some things to work on over uh, over the months and you know even years it's a skill that it just takes time to develop so 
Um, so with that, I mean, the biggest issues I see, we talked about them, but I, I like just looking at my athletes, um, I had a conversation with, with an athlete who um, is really looking to try to do some big things, but I don't think they really trust themselves with what they're trying to accomplish. And so um, we kind of narrowed it down and we looked at like, okay, so you're just like looking at your watch all the time, looking at that Garmin, that GPS and just looking at those numbers all the time. So you're looking, you're looking every 15, 20, 30 seconds, and you're constantly adjusting based on what you see on the watch, right? And so what happens is a lot of times that they overcorrect. Um, and so if they see that they're fast 20 seconds into a repeat, they overcorrect it to the slow side. The next time they look at their watch, now they're way slow. And so this is constant back and forth of trying to really trying to constantly adjust the pace without ever giving yourself enough time to settle into one pace and find the rhythm. And a lot of times once you find the rhythm, you can, you can settle down and be pretty close, pretty close to that pace that you want to be in. And then the, the third thing I see is that they rely on all the data except for how it feels. Right. And so uh, like right now I have an athlete who was really interesting. So um, she, again, wants to make it do a big, has a big goal. Uh, it's going to take some finesse to get there. Um, and it's going to take some really fine line balancing of, of being aggressive and making sure that they're recovered enough over the course of the segment. But, um, you know, they wore, they were wearing a certain GPS and it was saying that their heart rate, they, their heart rate on their easy days was extremely high. But then I was pointing out to this person, like, look at your, look at your heart rate during this workout. So you're running, I think it was like 30 to 45 seconds faster than their easy runs. And, um, it was, you know, it was 20 beats lower. And so it's like, something's not right here. So something's either being measured wrong or some, right, whatever, something, something's not getting picked up, right. Whatever the case is. Right. And so they had our time believing me. And so they wore another watch on the other hand, uh, a different company and lo and behold, the numbers on the other watch were much more in line with what they should have been. So you see that all the time, like you're, you're, you're looking at all these numbers, but not really knowing how it feels. And like, and she was running so slow on those easy days because the watch was saying, Oh my gosh, your heart rate is so high. And she was literally doing a walk run because her heart rate was so high on this watch. But then as soon as she changed and wore a different uh, uh, GPS on her other hand, all the numbers leveled out and she was running, you know, significantly faster on her easy days. And so it's like, you just have to wonder, like, are you putting too much reliance on all the numbers, but not, utilizing how the pace actually feels right and so that's a big big thing i see so it's so like i said like, but what you see is you know you'll see I, I talked about a lot of this already um so i'm going to do that too much more but see if there's anything i uh missed in here but the biggest thing is like overcorrection, constant looking at your watch and then putting so much reliance on that data um and not necessarily how you're feeling right so but there's a lot of things we can do to put this in practice put this better pacing into practice but there are two things uh that you're gonna really have to accept before we discuss those options right and so the first is that it takes time and by time i mean not days and not weeks and probably not even a few months it's probably going to take several months into years i mean it, i mean when I was in my peak training form, I mean, I could pretty much tell you within five seconds either way 
what my mile split was going to be. Um, I don't know if I could do that now, but when I was really in tune with everything, I was pretty darn close. But that took a good, it took all of high school, it took all of college, and it probably took a few years of being in the professional ranks. So you're really talking about four, nine, ten plus years of just constantly working on that. Now, I don't know if it would take you that long, but you know, I'm a slow learner. I got a dense forehead. So um, maybe it took me longer. I don't know. But it, it is definitely going to take you some time. But it, it's a skill and it takes practice. So the more you do it and the more you, you put it into practice and don't make the same mistakes over and over again, the faster it will come around to you. But if you're a slow learner like me and you tend to say, make the same mistakes that you did uh, over and over again, it, it's probably going to take a little bit, a little bit longer. So, um, so just kind of like keep that in mind and then also give yourself some grace on that because it does take time and it's going to be a lot of trial and error, you know? And so like, I'll tell you, like I tell my kid who's in softball, right. Uh, wants to be better, works a little bit at it, but she's in with people who play travel softball and they're playing all year. But point is, she's not as good a batter as those other girls. And so she judges herself based on them. And I'll tell her, I'll tell you what I tell her. I said, I don't care if you strike out every time, as long as you get the bat off your shoulders. Right. So I don't care if you screw some things up, as long as you're continually trying, right. If you don't ever try and then get mad because you're not any good at it, well then that's a different story, right? Cause you didn't do anything to get better, to get better. Right. And so that's where you have to be on that. You have to give yourself some grace keep willing, be willing to make some mistakes. I'd rather see you screw up a workout and learn a lot from it and take something that you can put into practice next time than just continually making the same mistakes and then you get mad because nothing's changing. Right. And so that's where we have to be. Um, the second thing to that is that, and I'm pulling this from my Kevin, from Kevin and Keith is that they were really, they really dug down on kneeling pace. And that is, you don't overcorrect the pace. So uh, if you overcorrect, then you're not really accomplishing anything either, right? So for example, if you are prescribed a tempo pace at eight minutes a mile, you come ripping through that first mile in 745, the goal is not then to come through the second mile and be at 16 minutes, right? Eight plus eight, 16 minutes. No, now the goal is since you were 745, the first mile is to be 1545, right? So that's 745, the pace you ran for the first mile, plus eight minutes, the pace you were supposed to be at the whole time, right? It's not going to do you any good to be at 16 minutes because then it means you went 745, 815. So you didn't really learn the pace at all. You just learned how to overcorrect it, right? And so that's where you've got to, that's where you've got to be. So I know what you're saying. You're like, that's fast. That's not what you said, get back on pace. And that's right. I do want you to get back on pace, but the pace is eight minute pace. So we don't want you to be now overcorrecting to the other side to make the overall pace, right? So if you're if you're fast the first mile, you just gotta slow it enough to be back onto what that normal pace would have been the second mile, right? You don't overcorrect so that your two mile split is, you know, would make it look like you ran perfect, right? You don't, that's just not gonna, that's not gonna be productive either. So, but again, it's just to experience in learning how it feels. So give it time, take comfort in knowing that you are not perfect and you are improving. And honestly, like here, my, my take is that with most of the people I work with and the most people I see who buy plans from us or in the Facebook group, whatever the case is, 
is that they know how to work hard. And I don't ever question that because the 90, I would say 98% of the people that I'm in contact with, they know how to work hard. If, and if anything, they probably work too hard um, as far as the training goes. And by that, I mean, maybe just running everything too hard. They don't necessarily get that they can slow down on their easy days and, and it'd be a much better situation for them. But they know they work hard, but it's all the other intangibles, right? And so it's the things like, okay, learning how to pace, learning how to take in fueling at the right rates and learning how to take in fluids at the right rates. Those are the things that most people would struggle with that they don't really think about. It's ultimately going to probably make them a better runner because they already know how to do the big things, right? Now it's down to learning how to do the smaller things and that's what's going to push you forward uh, longer term. Okay. So if you can, if you can accept those two things, uh, then move on. Well, we can move on. So, you know, don't overcorrect, give yourself some grace and give yourself some time, right? So the thing that there's, I have a kind of separated in two things here. The, the first one is things that I do and teach. The second one is some things that I've kind of just read or just kind of thought about as I was putting this together. Uh, and the first thing, the first section is things I do and teach with my athletes. And the first one is having set points. Um, this, I, this I personally do a lot because I run, I'm a creature of habit. I tend to run the same loops. I tend to do my workouts in the same spots. And so I've known where set points are on, on my loops, right? So I have one loop that's, um, it's pretty much a mile around the subdivision, around this loop in the subdivision. So I know quarter mile mark is basically the big crack in front of the guy's driveway right at the first right-hand curve. I know that's about the quarter mile mark. I know the second, I know the, the half mile mark is basically two driveways down from the bird's house. Uh, and then the three quarter mark is the, the last left-hand turn in my loop. And then the mile mark is this big bush right in front of, uh, it's like 20 feet before my start point on the loop. So I know where my points are and I know where I need to be on those points. So that's what I've kind of set myself to, um, looking at my watch, right? So I'll keep it on here. I'll turn my garment, I'll turn my, uh, garment on now. I'll show you. I'll, I'll, so I, I, I keep two data screens. Um, the first one has heart rate, overall distance, overall time, overall average pace. And I'll just use that for my everyday runs, but my workout screen is, um, lap distance, lap pace and lap time. So I'll know if I need to run, seven minute pace for a mile, then I'll know that one, 130 per quarter is, no, I'm sorry, 145 per quarter is where I need to be. So I like when I get to my checkpoints, that's when I'll try to look at my watch. And so, and then I'll have my pace, right? So um, that will be, that'll be what I use. And then if you have a Garmin and it has a track feature, you can use it on the track too. But then on a track, you know, you should know where the, you know, every 200 is, where every 400 is, you have those set points built into, into it. Right. So I, I like that because it forces me to kind of get into a rhythm first before I'm looking at my watch, because when I don't trust myself, I find myself looking at my watch a lot too. And so I'll look like, like I kind of called my athlete out on, but I, I knew, but I knew because I did the same thing when I didn't trust myself either. And I would just look at that watch like every 15, 20, 30 seconds. And it would always be, it would always, I mean, it would be way different on some of the stuff. Right. And so um, get into that, just kind of not worry if you're going to be fast or slow, but worry about kind of giving yourself more than a minute to look at your watch and kind of let the GPS catch up with you, all that stuff. Right. Cause if you're looking 
um, every few seconds, then it's not really catching up to what you've already, you know, you're looking in the past a little bit, not where you're currently at. So you kind of want to make sure you have enough point where it has enough data points along the GPS collection route where it's actually been able to average some, some points out where, you know, if you're averaging 10 points out versus two or three points out, you're going to get vastly different numbers, right? And so you've got to allow for that to take place. So I think checkpoints are, are huge on that. Um, and so I will say this. So I, I, I somebody was asking me about uh, doing speed work on trails and stuff like that for the marathon. I, I traditionally love doing that more than the track, but I think, I do think if you're not very good at pacing, especially at faster things and you tend to go too hard doing something on the track where you have two uh, checkpoints every lap is not a bad is not a bad thing right so if, if that will allow you to slow down or even speed up to get into the right rhythm then I think that that's that that's okay so that that would be the more important thing to learn than just being off the track and then making big mistakes along the way and not really learning anything um, the last thing I have on this section is that a lot of times the overcorrection just comes from thinking like that changing something. So if you were, let's say this, let's say you come through the quarter and you're 135 and you were supposed to be 145. That they think that it's a big adjustment to make that, that 10 seconds. And that's when they tend to overcorrect on the slow side. It's usually a very small adjustment. And a lot of times it's not even really, something more than just telling yourself to relax and allowing your natural stride to occur. Um, maybe a slight pace adjustment. Usually I do just like just telling myself to relax is all it takes. And that can, it's, it's very rarely a huge adjustment to actually get the effect that you're looking for. And I think sometimes we think that it is going to take a big adjustment and that's when we get those big overcorrections either way. Right. Usually it's um, it's not anything um, major, right? And so I'll actually use something. Here's a, here's a good example, right? So uh, Coach Mike, actually, we were talking about, he's getting a lot of golf lessons right now. He's getting uh, putting lessons, right? And and this guy had the software and was basically showing that Mike was lined up, you know, like a fraction of an inch wrong on his putts. But you extrapolate that out to over 10 feet, that fraction of an inch can turn into, you know, three or four inches off of your putt. Right. And so the same thing here, like just a fraction of an, just a fraction of an inch isn't, is all you need to change to make a big difference in the pace overall mile or two miles down the road. Right. Um, it most often does not require an instantaneous, big, big change. All right. So second thing I have is setting a pace range. I personally don't use this, but I'm very simplistic when it comes to running. Um, and, um, like I said, I'm fairly confident in my pacing abilities, um, even still. And so I don't initially use it, but I do a lot, do this with a lot of my athletes. And so actually the way we have it built into our structured workouts into final surge, uh, again, let's just use eight minute pace for your marathon goal pace. Let's say that's what it is. Um, I will have it set up so that eight minute pace is in the middle of a range for the marathon pace in the structured workout. So when you push that to your Garmin, it's going to give you a range If eight minute pace is the goal. It's going to give you a range of like 753 to 807, right? So you have a 10, seven second, seven to eight second window either way. Um, Cause it doesn't have to be exact. And I think that's the other thing. People are just pushing for perfection. Being close is really good, right? And so over time, it'll kind of just work its way down. That window will get narrower and narrower. But if you're five to eight seconds either way, 
it's usually not a big deal. Obviously, the faster you are, the smaller the range you want, right? Because um, let's say if you're a if you're a, a a woman trying to qualify for the Olympic trials and you're five to ten seconds too fast over you know per mile, that's a huge difference, right? That takes you from being because you're already basically straddling that line of what you're going to be able to maintain. So any second above that is going to really create problems down the down future down the down the line in the race. Whereas if you're a four hour marathoner, you're going to have a little bit more leniency on what's really too fast and what's really too slow, right? So just keep that in mind. So the goal ultimately is to close that window as much as you possibly can, but give yourself some grace on that too and stay within that range. If you can stay within that range, you're going to be pretty solid, right? And so uh, the big thing is people are like, oh, it's annoying. I don't want it. Uh, I don't want the buzzing if I'm 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 out of you know if I'm out of range, but that's kind of the point, right? I want it to be annoying so that you fix it, but it's also there too because then if we're, you don't have to look at your watch, if nothing's buzzing, you know you're good, right? You don't have to you don't have to be constantly looking at your watch because you know you're within that window, right? If it's buzzing, then you need to look at your watch because you need to know if you're too fast or too slow and you need to adjust for it, right? So, um, so I do kind of like that annoying. The, the goal would be to get rid of it eventually, right? We don't want it to be there all the time, um, but. The, if you struggle with it, that annoyance is, is what I'm looking for. Because if if all else, you'll just do it out of spite, right? And so that's I'll, I'll take it at that point. All right, so the third thing is a long warm-up. Uh, and I'll do this for more for faster workouts, something that I like to do. Um, so, like, honestly, if there's a, uh, uh, there's a track for me, it's about three miles away. But if I go a certain loop – actually, if I go by through these parks – um, I can add a mile or two onto that and actually get access to a restroom um, most of the way there so I can go to the bathroom and then go finish up my warm-up to the to the track and then do my track workout. Um, so I like that. So it'll be like four to four, maybe four to six miles of warm-up. Um, and this kind of tuckers them out a little bit. If you're used to that one-mile warm-up or two-mile warm-up, that's all it's doing, right? It's warming you up, you're getting ready to run, but if I can tire you out a little bit, that's naturally going to slow you down on the speed stuff. So you're not going to be so fast on it that you're going to be able to blast blast through everything, right? And so um, I like doing it. I like doing it for that point. Plus, we're a mileage we're a mileage uh, philosophy believer, right? So if uh, if and if people love doing mileage but don't like doing speed work, this is a great option for them too because we can get some mileage in, tucker you out, and then get you through some work that's going to that's going to be challenging. Um, I also like doing a regular warm-up in like a short one to two miles at lactate threshold. So like half mar- between half marathon and 10K pace for most people. And then do something like 400s or 800s at 5K pace, right? So it's kind of like simulating a race where the first mile or so are fairly comfortable. It's hard, but it's fairly comfortable. But then all of a sudden you've got to run faster. So now you want to maintain that pace while you're tired, while you're fatigued and learn how to maintain that even though you are tired and learn how to push through um, even when it feels like you want to stop, right? Um, and, I, and I think that's good too because now we're learning pacing when we're tired. We're learning how to force, you know, force ourselves to relax. Oxymoron there. We can relax when we're tired and keep that form, keep that pace, and that's actually going to help a lot of us in our 5Ks and 10K races. Um, the other thing I like doing is cut downs or survivals. Uh, if you're with me, many of you have seen cut down workouts. We'll basically start about a minute slower than goal marathon pace. And then every couple miles, we'll, we'll work that down about 10 seconds a mile. 
And then by the end of it, we're at marathon pace and hopefully uh, even a little bit faster than marathon pace. So we're going from fairly comfortable, pretty comfortable to pretty uncomfortable along the way. And the nice thing is like, it's easy to get carried away in those early miles. And then it completely makes you the second part of the workout blow up, right? Like it's really tough and it's hard to do. So it forces you to run slower and on pace and learn that feel of those easy paces early on so that you can make it through the, the harder second half. And then again, you learn how to run that pace when you're tired, right? And learn that you can do it. You find ways to like either just relax and focus on form, whatever it takes, but you can learn how to tolerate that fatigue and still run the pace that you want to, that you want to run. Um, like for me, we always did a 10 mile cut down and it was, it was, it was easy. That first, that first four to six miles were very comfortable. It was almost like it was just, I mean, we were out pretty much for a run and it was very tempting to push that. But by the time we got to, you know, 520, we'd go to 520 pace and 510, five minutes and then finish up with 450. By the time you got to 520, all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, we're working a little bit. And then 510 was like, mm, I don't, this, I, can I go another 10 minutes? And then, and then it was like five minutes, like, okay, this is serious. And then 450 was basically racing right and but it was it was it, we learned how to tolerate those efforts when we were tired and that, that made a huge difference so you can get a, again you can get a big volume amount of running in um but short amounts of work that's actually very intense but the, it's, where it's placed in the in the workout makes all the difference right um i like these during i like these during uh early build-ups when you can't really think or when you can't think of another workout to do you can't go wrong with something like that i think those are those are great. Um, the other one, two of them really. One is, we call them a survival workout. Uh, we had a loop out at the park, at Stony Creek Metro Park. And um, it, was a, it was a trail. It was like a single track trail. Uh, it was about 2K. And then we always did it during cross country, like before club cross or cross country nationals and stuff like that. Um, and it would start out, we'd start out with everybody. And the goal was basically you run the first loop, whatever that time is, second loop's got to be faster. Whatever the second loop is, third loop's got to be faster. Whatever the third loop was, fourth loop's got to be faster. You know, fifth loop's got to be faster. So I think the fat most ever got, I seen was like four or five loops. Cause it would get, it would get out of control because you was, <laughs> you'd have Brian Sell racing Chad who then Clint Viren would show up and be like, oh, I'm going to get in this. I'm just going to see how many people I can piss off. And uh, he'd sell his soul to run fast on the fourth one and then like walk the fifth one because, <laughs> he, you know, he'd already won the workout. So, but in any case, but that was the goal, right? You had to get faster. If you couldn't get faster, you got pulled. So it would go from like, you know, say 15 guys and then 15 would make it through the first one, uh, obviously. And then the second one, 15 would make it through and then the third one all of a sudden you'd have 10 guys and then the fourth one you'd have three guys and then you know it would it would get ugly real quick and some some of it was just because you were with people who are better runners than you and they were just going to be able to you know what was easier for them wasn't as easy for you and you just kind of you you'd have kind of a goal in your head okay i want to make it three loops today um let's just you know let's sell our soul to get there and then we'll you know do what we have to after that so I really like that. Um, again, I don't know. We only we wouldn't do these much. We only I remember only doing them a couple of times a segment during cross country and stuff. Um, and they are because they're hard. They're like, they're hard workouts. They get really hard. Um, the second one we used 
in college, it was called the five by five. So it was five times five minutes with 230 jog. And the goal was same thing. You had to get further each five minutes. We had a loop and we assume it was a mile, but we don't really know. We were never told it. We were, that was part of the goal. That was part of the workout too. Our coach never told us what the distance was. You just ran for five minutes whatever that was, then he would stand where you were at for the finished of the second one. You'd take off and then you'd have to get past him on the second one. You do that for five times. And so same type of thing. I, I can't remember if you got pulled or not. I don't think we got pulled if we did it. I think we just had to kind of suffer through it. Um, but that was, the, that was always the goal. And, we, and for us in college, it was, it was a big workout. And I remember um, it, we used it kind of as a checkpoint too. So we do our early season once just to see where we were at. We'd do it mid-season once to see how much we'd improved. And then the last time we would do it basically right before the start of championship season, so before conference meets, um, na um, regionals, and then hopefully nationals. So we'd kind of do it right before the, the start of that segment. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun, but it would, it would get hard. And, and this was before GPS too. So um, I, it was just out there running, right, and just seeing how – you were, you were trying to, the beauty of this was that you were trying to learn how to gauge effort internally with how far, without really having a set point that you had to make, right? You just had to make it further than the last one. So you kind of had to judge how fast I was going currently and how long I could sustain that, right? And I thought that was, that was great because it, it taught you to find that balance between going too hard and not going hard enough. Um, Cause the last thing you want to do is not make it to where you were the last loop. Right. And I thought that helped so much with just internal, cause that's the whole point of all this really is just to be, be able to internalize, internalize the effort and then be able to put a pace to it. Right. And so that's what I'm going at with a lot of this is that most people just don't know how to do that because they're just relying on the external data, not so much their internal data. Right. And if we can, merge those two can do a lot of a lot of good things with learning how to how to do pace a lot better all right so those are the things we used and i used um there's also a category here i have things that i haven't taught or done but it makes sense to me and the first one i read about i've read about in a few places but it was basically you time the workout and you take the splits of the workout but you don't look at your watch and you don't look at your data until after the run Right. So you, you download your data, you go into Garmin Connect or Coros, wherever you, wherever your stuff is. And you then you look at your data and then you look at like, OK, how is my heart rate compared to my pace? How well did I do with pacing? All of those things, you know, all of those things add up. And then you can take that not for the workout you just did, but then apply it to the workout that you're going to do next. And over time, you'll learn how to, again, internalize those paces and those efforts right so maybe just start with easy runs and just kind of don't even you know just start your watch put it on the watch face um, and don't even look at the data until after you're done right or on a marathon tempo you know you have a six eight mile marathon tempo on a flat route just go run it and see what it is right see if you can see if you can take how you feel internally and put that to effort and how that's feeling and see how close you are. Right. I think that's, that's a great thing to do. And it's not something you have to do all the time, but you know, it's something you do every, you know, on a couple easy runs a week and maybe 
uh, one marathon pace workout every couple of weeks and just kind of see where you're at, you know, and, and, uh, and just take as that, take it as it comes and just apply that to the next workout. The other thing I had, and this, I, 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 I've never read about it. I've never done it, but, um, I saw a tweet from Steve Magnus and he was talking more about how, um, people trying to improve their VO2, especially beginning runners. The big problem is, you know, if you want to go do 800s at VO2 max pace and say it's a, you know, three, four minute repeat, a lot of times that's too long. So they'll go out too hard and they'll, and they'll crash and burn. So same type of thing we were talking about with the overcorrect is they never actually spend any amount of time at the proper intensity to improve their VO2. Um, and so you kind of defeat the purpose. So if you start out smaller, let's break that instead of doing something that's going to take you four minutes, let's break it down to something that's going to take you 30 seconds to a minute. And if you, if you screw that one up, fine, you've got the data that showed you that you screwed that up, apply it to the second one, but you're, you're, you're allowing yourself the opportunity to fix the workout and still accumulate time at the right pace. Right. Um, and that's, what's key. So for a lot of our athletes, this applies more to marathon pace. Um, so maybe instead of breaking up or instead of doing like a six mile tempo or a, uh, a five mile tempo, maybe you break it up to where you're doing 10 times 800 meters at marathon pace and you just take a really short rest. So if that, let's say the 800 takes you four minutes, you don't recover for more than a minute, right? You just recover enough to kind of reset and then do it again and then and do it again, do it again. So you're still accumulating that, that volume. Um, even though you're taking that short break, but you're also giving yourself the opportunity to fix any pacing issues and move forward with the workout instead of just doing a five mile tempo and never being on pace, starting out too fast and then fading and being way too slow, whatever the case is, right? So it gives you the opportunity to do that. And you can take that with you. Maybe every other week you do that, even as you get into the longer tempos, you know, it's not a problem to do four by two miles, three by three miles, two by five miles, something like that, right? Especially if you're taking that short, short break somewhere in the middle. But ideally, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would just go do something like a two by five. If you're struggling with 10 by 800s, you'd almost want to just be able to do 800s pretty well before you moved up to a mile, right? And then do miles pretty well before you'd moved up to mile and a half. And then do mile and a half before you move up to two and so on and so on, right? Um, so that's what I do. But I don't want you to necessarily take away all those just straight up tempo runs because I think there's, there's benefits to that too, right? So if you're alternating between what you're doing or you focus more on the shorter repeat style during the early part of the, of the segment and you get pretty good at it, then you can apply that to the longer tempos as you move forward into that last six, eight weeks of the, of the marathon training program, right? But the whole idea is learn that pace on the shorter ones first before moving up and just negating everything that you've kind of picked up along the way. So, all right. So that's it. Hopefully, I mean, there's, there's five good things in there for you. Um, something you can try. Uh, and honestly, with my athletes, a lot of times, especially in the summer, I, they don't get a lot of straight up tempo runs until like September. Um, Cause June, July, August is brutal. And trying to do straight up tempo runs in that kind of heat and humidity is often not productive for a lot of the athletes. So usually I just kind of build that repeat style of marathon pace into a lot of their plans anyway. Um, so they're kind of getting it, even though they're not really asking for it. But, uh, but anyway, I, there's some good stuff there. I think there's a lot of good things to try. 
hopefully you recognize that you, you can learn this. You can, you can, it's a skill. You can learn it. It's just going to take time. going to take a lot of practice. Um, but hopefully I give you some ideas you can apply to your own training, give it time, make a conscious effort to get better. Um, and especially better at putting a pace and in intense, putting pace, intensity, and data together. Don't look at them as bubbles. Don't look at what your watch is saying versus what you're feeling. Um, those things should be merged. They should be almost be intertwined. You should be a cyborg of data and internalization of, of how you're feeling, right? Um, and that's how, that's really what you want to do because they're all data points and they all need to be looked at as, uh, as a web of information, not just two separate bubbles of information. And that's kind of how I feel uh, a lot of people are. They'll take the one and not merge it with the other. They'll just look at them, one in my left hand, one in my right hand, and they never come together. Um, but uh, if you can get a handle on this, I would pretty much guarantee you'll become a better runner and you'll run, you'll run faster and you'll be a better racer. Um, and I think for a lot of you, that's key. Cause even if you're just, even if you're not worried about winning races, but you're chasing Boston qualifying times and things like that, those are skills that you have to have to have. So, all right. Thanks guys for listening. Uh, I appreciate it. And if, uh, as I'm recording this at the end of May, uh, marathon training programs start soon. Uh, I will have links, um, wherever I post this too. So be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, don't hesitate to check us out at LukeHumphreyRunning.com or subscribe to the podcast or, yeah, do one of those two things. That'd be great. All right. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you later. See you next time.